another thing, you know, about folklore, so why it's teaching us to be, you know, pure in, in, in selflessness, because it's anonymous. You don't own the, the rights of the song. For example, my great grandmother who sang these songs, she didn't create them. And she had the same right to sing them as her own, as her great grandmother. And I have the same rights to these songs to sing as my songs, because we all folk singers and we all sing the same song and we all own it (laughs) as we sing it. You are not the author of the song, but, but when you sing it, it belongs to you the same way as it belonged to the ancestors. And that's already a connection. Welcome to Fair Folk. I'm Danica Boyce. Hello, friends. What I have for you today is the last bit of Lithuanian content I'm going to release for a little while, and it'll wrap up this period where I focus intensely on Lithuanian music and culture so I can share some other things I have coming next. Because I was asked by a number of folks to share the full songs I recorded at Romava Camp in 2018, I posted these on YouTube over the last week. Now that it's all there, I think it's quite a powerful series of songs altogether. I made a playlist of something like 15 videos that you can listen to and view one after the other, as if you were at a pagan ritual. The playlist is called Pagan Ritual Songs from Realm of a Camp, and you can find it on the Fair Folk Podcast channel on YouTube. I'll put that link in the show notes. I also plan to post more videos and things like that in the future, so check that out and subscribe, please, and you'll know when I post the next thing. And please also make sure that you subscribe to the Fair Folk one and not the Danica Boyce YouTube channel. Though I'm flattered, um, it's easy to get them confused, and I'll be posting on just the Fair Folk one from now on. So, this conversation that I'm sharing in this episode is one I had when I was in Lithuania in the summer of 2018 at Romava Camp, a gathering of Lithuanian pagans. Part of the interview appeared in the first half of the Children of the Sun episode, but it was such an interesting and inspiring conversation that it feels right to me to share the whole thing with you. Also, since world events have caused a number of us both to stay home away from our jobs and also to meditate on the innate interconnectedness of all beings on this earth, this interview is standing out to me as particularly relevant right now, since we do talk a lot about interconnectedness in it. Also, Ignis, my interviewee, makes reference to a number of songs in the conversation, And since, with his help, I've been able to track down some recordings of these songs, I wanted to include them in the episode also, so you can really hear what he's talking about. Of course, this episode is important and beautiful on its own, but what's making it especially significant for me today is the cultural shift that I observe occurring in this moment, and I think you might see what I mean when you hear the episode. Right now, this shift is appearing as a response to the spread of a particular virus, But this change, I feel, is much larger and more complex than that, and I bet you probably feel that too. I don't mean to minimize the impact of the illness, I just want to talk a bit about some other aspects of our experience right now. We are being reminded at this moment that anything can happen, and it is totally up to us how we are going to frame that reminder for ourselves, whether we are going to allow it to totally destabilize us, or whether we can encourage ourselves to see it in the longer view, as the precondition for positive change. Because anything can happen. 
while many of us are at home now and unable to feed the capitalist machine, what I hope to see, and what I'm beginning to see, is a move towards self-sufficiency. And by self-sufficiency, I mean a renewed awareness of our own ability to create our own culture and meaning, our own food, friendship, and pleasure, and to take care of ourselves and our bodies with somewhat less reliance on the economic and governmental systems that, to be honest, have not been doing most of us many favors these last couple decades. And the change that I'm finding personally really inspiring that I've been seeing in general in our culture lately, but also on social media to a greater degree in the last week, is an increase in the simple practice of singing among ordinary people, singing for its own sake, singing to feel connected to one another and to the cosmos, to feel nourished by the movements of our bodies on the earth, to feel empowered to make our own expression and be justified and supported in making that expression. Singing was once a part of everyday life. It was built into the fabric of every activity, singing in rest and before sleep, singing in mourning, singing during travel, during work, and during devotion, and as devotion. And I think devotion is one of singing's primary roles. Devotion to expression, of course, but also to expressing yourself as part of the earth. We are the instruments of the earth, and when we sing, we feel the earth's beauty in our bodies, and we multiply it. Here's something I think about all the time. Joseph Jordania, he's an ethnomusicologist, and he's done some evolutionary biology work. I interviewed him a while ago for the polyphony episode, and one of the theories he had, and I'm not sure if he mentioned it in the episode or not, but or if you've had a chance to hear it, but he theorized that humans sang before they spoke. He says that there was a time, in humanoid history at least, where we only sang, where we communicated primarily through melody and through rhythm, rather than this articulated semi-monotone speech that you're hearing me perform right now. And of course, there are more tonal languages in the world, more melodic dialects than North American English, but I just love that idea that song is one of the easiest, oldest, most accessible, and most important ways that we can connect to the earth and to its innate divinity. So I meditate pretty regularly, and there was this one time I was asking my higher self in meditation how to deal with this difficult decision I thought I had to make, and I was really stressed about it. So I was picturing myself out in a beautiful sunny field with summer wildflowers around, and I was waiting for a response to this question of how should I deal with this situation. And I just heard this loud voice filling the field and my consciousness and just saying, that your job is simply to sing the joy of the earth. And what I was worrying about suddenly seemed a lot less important. And maybe you feel me in this, and I can say that maybe it's all of our jobs in these human bodies just to sing the joy of the earth. And everything else is just not our business. What would it feel like right now to say to yourself in this moment of uncertainty, my job is just to sing the joy of the earth. I can even pause for a second so you can say it out loud with me if you want. My job is just to sing the joy of the earth. A song is always a gift, and you and your body <laughs> deserve to sing. I've just, as I'm thinking about all these things, I just, 
I feel that it's time that we remember that singing is not just for professionals. It's for every single person who has a voice. The recordings of performances that we hear every day now are highly manipulated, and the human voice just doesn't sound like that in reality. Long before it came from the radio, the music came from us, from all of us. Music is embodiment, and what better way to make our lungs strong and to meditate on the in-breath and the out-breath that we all share than to sing whatever it is that's in our hearts. Your song is a devotion to the earth, to divinity, and to the divinity that is your body, since your body is such a beautiful expression of this earth and this universe. In this next week and beyond, I'm committing myself to sharing as much song as possible on this podcast, on Instagram and Facebook, and to try to draw the conversations I have to focus on how much power we yield in possessing the simple ability to sing. So, now that I've shared those thoughts with you, I'll share my full interview with Ignis Shatkauskas, a priest in the pagan religious group Ramava, from their yearly gathering called Ramava Camp. The performers and titles of the songs in the episode are all to be found below in the show notes. I hope you find this interview and these songs as uplifting and as interesting as I do. But if you do, please, please share them so other people who might need to hear them can access them too. Here is our conversation. Okay, my name is uh, Ignas Shatkauskas. I'm 29 years old, and now I'm a Vaidila, a priest of Romova, of, of Lithuanian paganism. I've been Vaidila now for two years, and I've been inaugurated in the celebration of spring, Yore, two years ago in another place, by, but by the, same, by the same priestess, Inia, by Krive Inia. How did you begin to be involved with Ramadan? Oh, you could say I was meant for this even before I was born. <laughs> because in my family, there's a strong tradition of folklore, ethnic culture. And my great-grandmother was already a big uh, carrier of traditional songs and of, of ethnic, uh, ethnic wisdom, folklore, fairy tales, and so on. And Many of these are recorded into the great book of songs of Lithuania, especially from my great grandmother. And I, I actually remember her singing her in in her village of Švenčionis, singing these songs, telling these fairy tales, and kind of carrying on the tradition, and so on. My, her daughter and her daughter's daughter was my mother, <laughs> and so all of these women were carrying this tradition from one to another. And my mother is is uh, one of the head. Uh, folklore organizers in Lithuania. She organizes the main main folklore festivals in Lithuania. So I was, from my earliest, earliest childhood, I was always surrounded by old women, old folk singers from all of Lithuania all the time. And I was growing surrounded by my mother listening to these songs, writing about them and so on. So I was I was never baptized or, or I have not been touched by any other religions. So you can say I was like I was Romovian since my really since my birth, and mo the more I grew, the more I saw that I my place is in the nature, and that's where the sacred things are, where that that's the example of balance that we should strive for. So I I was discovering myself more and more into this tradition, and then I picked up bagpipe 
playing, which is traditional Lithuanian bagpipes called Labanoro bagpipes. And all of these uh, choices and turns in my life was really guiding me without even me conscious knowing that I'm walking towards the path of being Vaidila, but all of these choices were like actually the guidelines. For example, picking up bagpipe was very important because it is a very spiritual instrument here. Uh, it is related to the very mystical sides and to, to related to the souls and underworlds. And the purpose of this instrument is to guide the souls to the underworld. And as I picked it up, I didn't even know all these things. And slowly it just dawned on me as I was playing it. I was doing ceremonies and so on. And now I could tell you a bit more about this because it is one of the things that I do in this in this whole camp, in this tradition. I am the piper. <laughs> Usually there's more of them, but I'm uh, sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes there's more, but, but yes, this is my thing. As I picked it up, it already guided me that, that I have to not only play it as a musician, but but play that instrument with the whole consciousness of, of its mythical background. So I'd like to explain a bit to you, because mm -hmm. I like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. This is that Labanoro bagpipe, which has their drones, the these that makes the sound, mm -hmm. the, the keynote and the melody pipe. They are going down. When you stand up, these are like hanging down and has a uh, twisted horns, which kind of similar to goat or something. It used to be made from goat skin and it's mythologically related to goat and the goat is sort of devilish and it's already directing you that that this instrument is the instrument of Valinus, the god of underworld. As, as I played this instrument for some years and I, I started sort of to unlock its mythical meanings, you know, and it's sort of been my journey towards understanding not only what this instrument means, but more generally what our tradition tells us. So I'll tell you a bit. This is the blowing instrument, the air instrument. That means that you have to give your spirit, your breath to it, and it demands like a lot of air constantly. It, imagine if you're blowing a balloon which has a huge holes in it and it never, <laughs> never, never gets full. And so you're just all the time giving all of your breath towards it. So. Already you can uh, interpret it as some kind of uh, spiritual practice, maybe as some yogis do the breathing techniques and so on. So this is a really big breathing technique mixed with, with the melody that you have to at the same time sort of forget yourself and get lost in the melody. I'll tell you a bit about this a bit later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, and for example, if I share this instrument to to another person and, or to give it to kids to try to, you know, I already share my soul and my breath with the community. So this way, how we communicate by sharing our breath through the same instrument and that how it becomes already a sacred thing because it, it shares the breath and the soul of, of the community. And many people that I traveled through the world, you know, have touched it and breathed into this instrument. And so it, it contains not only my spirit, but, but the experiences already and the people I've met. So, but now a bit more about mythological things. You see, it has like probably most of bagpipes around the world have the same technique of having a drone note or more of them. But it, what is important that one side of the bagpipe is not, you know, played with fingers and it, it gives a constant single note, which is the octavic harmonic note. And the other end is the melody flute 
called like lalaika or dudala in Lithuanian. So you can play it with your fingers and, and do many variations. So it seems a simple build, and uh, but as I played it, I started to unlock the deeper meanings of it. You know, as I did ceremonies and so on, it dawned on me that this is the two sides of existence. One side, the, the keynote, the drone note, is the ancestral side, which uh, symbolizes the past, the things have passed, the, the energies and our an ancestors that dwell in the realm of underworld, and their connection to us is their love. They constantly sing as a choir of ancestors in a single note of harmony, which is love. They give us the supporting note, the accompaniment to our, towards our today's melodies, towards different paths and choices that we take today. And our ancestors constantly support us with the main harmonic note. And what we are today, we, our times are the various times. There's many choices here. We can still choose this side or that or be fated to do this or that. So this side of the backpipe symbolizes today and our current times and our destinies and sort of our free will and our choices, how our lives can resonate or then happily or more sad or, or gracefully or whatever else. But at the same time, like our lives now, like you and me, like my sisters and brothers and all of this, all these people, they have their ancestors who still support them in the same love that they had when they were alive. For example, when you're, when you're young, you have your grandparents, you have your parents giving all of their love to you, all of the food and, and, and goodies and happiness and fun and toys and whatever. They just put all of their loving energy in many ways, but all of that is their loving energy supporting your growth. And when these people pass, they, this love does not disappear. It just transforms into some kind of singular harmonic background that is always there we just don't really hear it because it's always there that it becomes some kind of a background noise <laughs> but what is very important actually is is this side is the ancestral side because it is one the one that is a bit more covered you know it's a bit more hidden it's more monotonous you cannot really perceive it so easily but it's there and and this is very important because what it teaches uh, in life that there is some kind of, uh, you know, cooperation of harmonies, cooperation of dharna, or in Sanskrit dharma, which in Lithuanian dharna is so similar, yes. It means the balance and harmony, but, but not balance like a total equilibrium either, but the balance of different proportions, whatever the nature likes, you <laughs> In, in different percentages, different proportions, but everything mixed together makes some kind of harmony, which is so easy, so hard to describe or to kind of get, but it's there. Yes. And now you saw, maybe you already heard that we, uh, all of these people and then Romovians, they sing a lot of uh, songs and sutartines, especially these polyphonic songs. And I found out that they are also made in a very similar pr principle. You can also interpret that song in the same way that I interpret this instrument. There's usually one voice who gives support, singing more monotonic sounds, and the other voice is a solist who is uh, playing the main melody. And in some polyphonic songs, these parts change constantly, so same singer sometimes is the background singer, like the accompanying singer, sometimes he's the, he's the leading singer, and all of them changes the places, and all of them 
fit the roles, you know. So what it teaches us is also the same idea that the one who gives support to the leading singer, the one who is accompanying singer, he has to sort of tune his ego down a bit so he would not sing too loud, he would not overwhelm the leading note, but be the proper support. So he has to a little bit forget himself and, you know, the desire to um, prove himself, to, you know, appear so cool and, and you know, show, it, it's, show your voice to other people and see, oh, I'm such a great singer. So you have to kind of keep it down a bit so that the leading voice could take the first stage, you know, and, and you're supposed to be in the background. But when the, when the song changes you, the next minute you already are the leading voice. So you have to step out and, and give all of your energy as a leading voice, but at the same time, not completely, you know, overwhelm the, the background. <laughs> so it's, it's constant change and there's constant lesson of being, you know, not selfish. So even in such a similar simple things as singing these polyphonic songs that is happening everywhere, everywhere here in this in this tradition and in this camp, there's already some kind of morality, some kind of uh, special polytheistic Lithuanian morality that says that you must not forget the background of nature, the background of ancestors, because it gives you the harmony to exist. It gives you the the, the, the that note that resonant note that would make your life sound, you know, harmonic. If you would cut it out, then your life would might be harmonic, but it would lack that support. You know? yeah. <laughs> so this is the, this is the key in all these songs and everywhere. And all of these uh, morality lessons are, they're telling us about this metaphysical understanding of, of pagans and the world where how to create harmony around yourself and how to kind of tune into the harmony of nature. I started to see these uh, these patterns of Lithuanian thought, of Lithuanian morality, even in in the songs, in in ceremonies, wherever we go, there is some kind of uh, creation of harmony, and it it happens in principle, like like according to some kind of law, which is not stricter or any kind of you know like dogmatic law, but it's a it's a law of harmony, you know, for example some notes will sound together in harmony and have a you know gentle intervals and some intervals will be very sharp 
So if you play only on these sharp intervals, like small secundas, and so the, the harmony will be very tense, very hot. So so Lithuanians spread these uh, intervals like spicing, you know. They play in, in normal gentle intervals, but sometimes they add, and sometimes the voices mix, maybe you heard, in very sharp secundic intervals, which is kind of typical to Lithuanian folklore in this uh, this area and Sutertinas tradition. Not all the songs are like that, but so, but also uh, it shows you some kind of balance and harmony as you, you know, you don't put too much salt in the soup because the soup will get too salty. So it's the same with these very sharp intervals. They're like spicing. They, there must be some, <laughs> but not too much. And the proportions are, you know, you cannot really describe them in, in percentages or something, but, but you can really feel the, the importance of these... Uh, this harmony, this this balances, and and through these little nuances of the things that we do, you know, slowly the very big picture starts to reveal. You know, the big picture of of the world view of our ancestors that were completely ecologically, they were so in tune with nature that they have not left anything. There's no garbage like pyramids or something <laughs> left. I'm joking, of course, yeah. but, but like. There's no relics, really, like nothing that would could seem made by humans. No, no temples, and it was made not because we were primitive or something, but it was made with purpose, as 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 to leave the nature as it is, mm. and that that is, I think, very respectable position even in today's times, because today we are suffering with a lot of pollution and ecological tragedies and so, and and this message of of living completely sustainable lifestyle and not leaving any trace, this is really is really close to me and I'm fascinated by it. And so, as I'm telling you, through playing, through singing these songs, this big worldview slow, slowly reveals itself and somewhere there, and deep in, in, in this mythological understanding of the world, there is a way for us really to, to get back to, to that natural way and, and we can really, again, perhaps, live in the same way as our ancestors of course, having all the current technologies, but but not leaving so much trash and so much trace after us. Mm. Okay, so so this thought <laughs> ran out. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Um, I actually, from earlier, I, someone else who plays the hurdy-gurdy spontaneously told me the same story about um, realizing that the drone in the hurdy-gurdy is, is the, the divine and the melody is the human element and... I just thought that was like just like two weeks ago. You know what I mean? So Where have you been? I was in Iceland. In Iceland, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> The reason that I'm here, my motivation, is that I come from a place like Canada, 
where there are a lot of people who are interested in paganism and who are interested in tradition, and there's very little resources for them, very little tradition for them to draw on. Um, I'm talking about European yes, of people course, specifically. Of uh, and they often come from multiple mm-hmm. uh, places mm-hmm. and they're far removed from, like there's no, their grandparents didn't necessarily sing anything to mm-hmm. them. And, and I'm trying to figure out how to, like the podcast in general has been a process of trying to show them traditions that are intact and how people are are using tradition when they don't have all of like a perfectly intact tradition, you know. But also I feel this question, people want guidance. They want to know how how to build a tradition from, you know, scattered mm-hmm. remnants and, and loss in the sense of having no drone, you know, no background. It's um, it's a really painful, it, it I painful, see a lot yes. of pain, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of seeking, I feel, even from across the ocean, our brothers are seeking their roots. Mm-hmm. And there they have Native American roots and some of them are drawn to that. And that's a very strong thing, I this is they have preserved a lot through lots of difficulties and the story is very similar here in lithuania you can for example compare that you know the discoveries uh, of americas in the 15th century so just like uh, 50 or so years ago the lithuanian people were converted to christianity and the, the the crusades were going to lithuania so it's basically very short time intervals between they finished up with pagans in Europe, which means Lithuanians, and then they moved across the ocean to to, to deal with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so our situation is very similar and at the same time very different. We're still back in Europe, but comparatively Lithuanians and Latvians and so, they preserved the biggest amount of these ancestral knowledges, songs and so on. The other nations of Europe have lost uh, much more. They, they have not things like the great song books and so on. And the Lithuanians have this great song books, like over millions of songs collected straight from the ancient peoples and so on. Mm-hmm. So we, we are an advantage here in Europe. Mm-hmm. And we've met a lot of people from across the ocean, from the from the United States and Canada and so on, that they, they come here to look for their roots. They know that their ancestors, for example, have lived in the Baltic coast or something. And there's many of them that they search for their roots here and they find it very appealing that the way that we do it, you know, it is really different from the way that American native people do it. But but some core message is very similar, you know, the great spirit of nature, the balance in there, the the multiplicity of different forms of spirituality, sacred spirits and sacred beings and sacred snakes and sacred frogs. Mm-hmm. And all of these, you know, animals have sort of mythological stories that they participate in the big creation of all the existence. They're not just, you know, a toad in the yard. This is some toad that met the ancestor god and then he talks to the god and gave mm-hmm. some message to the god and it's all in, like involved in the whole creation then, mm-hmm. and so on. These, all of these spirits are important, even if they seem to be like really marginal, some kind of house corner spirit for example there is such a thing you know kertukas you know it's a special thing that lives in the corners of houses but it's a small spirit but at the same time it's it's still very important Mm -hmm. it it has a lot of mythological importance yes but speaking about the revival Romovai is of course a great example and it has inspired all over the Europe the revivals now we have the congress of European ethnic religions involving mostly 
all of the European traditions, Vikings, Greeks, Latins, and Celtic people, and, and from the Slavic uh, side of Europe too. So it's a huge gathering, and uh, it was initiated by Jonas Trinkunas, by the, the, the revival, main revival of, of Romova. So, so this Romova is, of course, a good example of anyone who's trying to revive. But it's a very difficult process. It, it faces a lot of uh, adversity in its own country. In Lithuania, there's a lot of hatred towards us without, you know, without really a cause because we're, we're not, you know, harming anyone. We're not wishing anyone ill. But still, people are sometimes very suspicious or just downright uh, arrogant, you know, and superior trying to somehow put us as a, some, you know, primitive people or so. But it's not true, and now it's not even, even weird to speak about these things today because the, the main trends in the, in the world are actually the opposite, that people are turning back to the ancestor traditions and looking the values, looking for values there. What is important in revival is to get something something tangible like songs like dances from somewhere and start doing them for example if in canada you 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 have a community or something you have to you have to start at the same time have a some kind of a folklore collective which is representative of that community mm-hmm. like for example in lithuania it was romova and the from the earliest times, they formed a band, a folk band, Kulgrinda. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not only the big movement of many people of different, uh, you know, specialities and different walks of life, but there's also a music group of, of that, that folklore that is your spiritual music. Mm-hmm. And the, the better, you know, this, this group is, the more representative you get in, in a wider public. And through that, you will get a lot of attention and attraction. And many people will come to your community because they see that your community produces like a quality folk music, which is not only folk music for fun, but folk music sung with purpose, with spiritual purpose. And it's already much different. You know, it's a very different thing when you sing folklore just on the stage for performance or just for fun. And when you sing not just any folklore songs, but these special songs, for example, in Lithuania, we have songs especially, you know, oriented towards setting the sun. And the words are about setting sun and about what people do when the sun is setting and they're polyphonic and they go in a circle and sing that the sun is, go- sun is going in a circle. So they kind of involve sun in the same community as the people and you know as the sun goes in circles around some center of universe uh, so we're going around the circle of fire so we involve the sun in the same dance you know we dance with the sun because we dance in a circle
have these songs so typically made for this typical time, special time of, of day for setting the sun. And when you sing them when sun is setting and going around the fire doing the proper movement for that song, then, you know, it is not a simple song on a stage. When people just go up, blah, 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 they sing and they go out. People clap. But this, in doing this, you really feel that community, that bigger community that is the whole sun system, the whole universe. Not only we are going around some central thing which is symbolizing fire, which also symbolizes the sun, the, 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 the light and so in every tradition. Both the sun does the same thing and the earth goes around the sun and the moon and everything. And, and the words of the song are actually saying that and these words are ancient you know before we knew that 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 sun is a circle that the sun you know scientifically that the sun uh, is you know the center of the system and so on but somehow in these folk songs it this knowledge is there in the words and these songs usually predate you know the scientific discoveries mm -hmm. and I, i'm fascinated by this and for example another cosmic uh, revelation there's the evening star and the morning star, you know, Hesperus and Phosphorus, which is uh, Venus. Mm -hmm. And somehow Lithuanians knew that it's the same star. I don't know how, but other traditions might not know this. But there's a song about the, this star, which is the evening star who travels from moon to sun and is supposedly their daughter. And this song kind of excludes this star from other stars because this is the wanderer star. And so Lithuanians knew that this one was not like any, you know, like typical stars, but this is a planet, it's a different star. And, and they described the movement of this planet and the, the appearance of this planet in the horizons, both in the evening and the morning. And so in the evening, you know, then she is the daughter of moon. And then in the morning, she's the daughter of sun. And it's the same planet. And so they, they symbolize this whole cosmic relationship. There's a moon, which is male in Lithuania, and sun, which is a mother, female. And they have a daughter, which is evening star. <laughs> Would you sing the melody of that song? Žvaigždala vakarine Visu dangu and there's a, a lot of the same same strange slow melodies speaking about that uh, evening star which is wandering in the sky and she stops near the sun and greets the sun as a mother and she wanders again then meets the moon and greets the moon and so <laughs> this is how the story goes songs and many ritual songs from many traditions you will find these the words of the song itself describes what you must do and you have to just listen carefully to the words of these songs and they will 
basically guide your rituals and you have to start doing them you know as you go on on a hill and the sun is setting and you sing these songs for sun setting and this makes you feel like much in such a community with the sun that you are really feeling why lithuanians call sun mother you know well we are all you know blessed by mother sun our life exists because we have this wonderful star and lithuanians express this kinship this closeness to the sun this love that we feel to the sun and the love that we feel from the sun in the form of warmth and light and and it ex- ex- expressed in this um, metaphysical family <laughs> it is it is understood that it's not like completely du- direct family but it is a this wider world view allow it allows to have this cosmic close relationships to for example planets and sun and 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 stars and so on because we always think that the moon is my father and sun is my mother and stars are our sisters and it's kind of reflected in in the human lives there's for example as for a man you have to choose a wife which would be then your son you know the only light and then other stars are other women who are like then the sisters mm-hmm. so in, in these similar um, in, in these simple songs in these simple like pearls of knowledge you can already like take messages from how you're supposed to act as a man because you have to be with one woman if you chose and she would be your son and you would be dedicated to her and and other ones would be distant sons they're also sons for someone else maybe but not for you <laughs> and so so there is always some kind of message that you can take and apply to your life and to use it as some kind of a guideline towards your behavior all of that is nicely enveloped in this story about the eternal and cosmic union the eternal family everything is in the same community in the same family and dancing around the same sun around the same fire and when you're doing that dance that feeling you know is 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 lifted up and that just takes you over and that's when you really feel the sacred feeling that that really kind of religious experience of unity with with cosmos which i i have never experienced you know somewhere that would be in, involved in more human uh, traditions like monotheistic and so on they have never involved me in such a in such a unity with the universe well i have not really tried so so much you know, so i cannot speak any ill towards that but but uh, but somehow i feel that this tradition has its benefits because it speaks that about the equal worth of all living things you know humans are not anyway special here they have no superior place in the cosmos they're not you know special son of god who the earth is made as a playground for us you know this is not our belief and i think that this is not very ecological thing to think that that you know all of the rest of the life was made for human use for human consumption you know it already sounds like a bit of consumerist ideology coming from some kind of old religious texts but still humans you know they were not so self-conscious as to understand their impact upon nature and creating these beliefs they they were not so eco- ecologically conscious of. but somehow ancient tribes of of native americans of of hindus of of africans of 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 baltics and so on they 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 developed a different world view which is uh, 
which does not exclude humans as you know having the rational mind and capability of language that still does not exclude us from the the all the stories of nature we are still in the, in the same circles as the sun in the same circles as all the animals and in every lithuanian song probably you will always have kind of two parts or two analog analogous stories that tells for example the life of of a birch tree or of a lime tree on one that that lime tree had nine branches on one one of the branches there's a cuckoo nest and so on there's a, like the story goes more detailing detailing and, and another part of that same song there's a there's a woman who had nine daughters and one of the daughters got married <laughs> so the parallels of that tree life with nine branches as nine daughters and some of the daughters get married some of them daughters got cracked like the wind is the storm like broke breaks one of the branches so analogously in in the in the mother's side of the story there's some of the daughters die because of war or something or some of them are taken away by by mm, husbands into other houses so this parallel in almost in every song that there's a some kind of destiny of of living things of birds plants of trees and analogously the story of humans and and the the main points of story are always the same like nine daughters nine branches you know mm-hmm. so mostly every song will tell you that there's the same fate of of that natural life and human life there's no difference you know there's two parts of the same song so th- that that oneness is really expressed very strongly it, it's not separated it's not separated at all because for example lime tree has the same destiny and same woes and pains as the as the mother would have if losing her daughters and so on songs have the same principle of mm-hmm. of singing about exceptionally close parallels between human or life and plant or animal life yeah 
this is like the very principle of, of Lithuanian folklore. And if you want to create now a, a folklore song, you can just do the same, you know, pick a plant like a Roman tree with red berries. Mm-hmm. You can sing, oh, these red berries, da, da, da. and then, then sing, oh, a beautiful girl with red cheeks. <laughs> yeah. and, and you will create, a, a, in principle, a typical folk song. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it will be an you know original song, but it will follow the same principles. And someday when your name is forgotten, then it will be a folk song. <laughs> Someone asked me the other day who my favorite music performer was, a musician, a writer, my favorite writer. And I thought about it and I realized the oral tradition is my favorite. <laughs> I don't have a favorite writer. I was like, you know, uh, ballads. <laughs> Actually, that's another thing, you know, about folklore. Why it's uh, it's so, you know, egoless. Why it's teaching us to be, you know, pure in, in, in selflessness. Because it's anonymous. You don't own the the rights of the song. Mm-hmm. For example, the my great grandmother who sang these songs, she didn't create them, mm-hmm. and she had uh, the same right to sing them as her own as her great grandmother. And I have the same rights to these songs to sing as my songs, mm-hmm. because we all folk singers, and we all sing the same song, and we all own it yeah. <laughs> as we sing it. And but it doesn't belong to us as the original authors. There's no, you know, ra- laurels of genius creations. You know, we, we're not Mozarts or uh, <laughs> or Beethovens. We, we do not own the kind of the, the rights to that song. Is uh, you know, as today there's uh, all these laws about uh, about uh, the protection of of the songs and so on that you cannot. You cannot, you know, get them for free. You have to buy them and so on. Mm-hmm. So with the folklore, there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. You are not the author of the song, but but when you sing it, it belongs to you the same way as it belonged to the ancestors. And that's already a connection, you know, just mm-hmm. singing the same song. For example, in similar situation, setting the sun, mm-hmm. singing the same song about setting the sun as our ancestors used to do. You get into some kind of time loop. You're repeating the same story that happened millions of times before. Mm-hmm. And you are, you know, if, if you know these, uh, for example, these Indian mandalas or these paintings that represent, for example, one silhouette and behind there's millions of repeating similar silhouettes. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the same. You, you repeat the same stories that happened in nature for millions of times, but you just don't remember them. But you just walk in the same shoes, basically, and repeat the same thing. And that gives really strong kind of root connection towards your ancestors, towards the place where you live. And gives some kind of background, like proper context to your life. Mm-hmm. It, it shows that you're not alone, that you, your bows are not only yours. They've been passed through by many people and they survived this so you can survive this as well mm-hmm. <laughs> and many of these supporting and encouraging th- feelings come up when you do these things and, and i think that's people across the ocean are looking for this support exactly for this feeling that that they're not alone they're not so individual in their existence as they they're but they're repeating really the same circles the same cycles that their ancestors used to do mm-hmm. and, and that reassurance comes when you consciously perform similar ceremonies similar things singing same songs that that your ancestors used to sing and this gives this connection this reassurance the kind of backbone to your towards your today's values today's life 
I, I think that that's what is missing for many people who have traveled far away from their homelands, from their ancestral lands, and they're missing that not the actual support of, of, of earth that grows things and so it's still across the ocean is still grows things and still is a wonderful mother mother earth the same earth but what they're missing is those repeating stories you know is is that that feeling of metempsychosis as as the greek philosophers would say as of the transferring souls of reincarnating souls not necessarily to believe in reincarnation that you are the same soul in a different body, but that that you're just repeating the same story, the the same principal action in the same principal time of sunsetting around the same fire, which is again the same chemical reaction, the same fire. We actually have you know sacred fires constantly burning, and and uh, when Lithuania was uh, you know in, involved in in Christianization, many of these fires were put out and we've preserved just a couple of these fires up till today but now now these sacred fires are burning again constantly and we we dug up archaeologists archaeologists dug up some sacred places and found the coal embers from these uh, eternal fire altars that used to be burned in, in our sacred woods and so we took these coals from these archaeological sites and spread across lithuania in circuit fire so we could symbolically say that we are continuing the same fire literally the same fire with the same ember even though it's just one ember carried you know but but that is the same fire thank you yes you're welcome Thank you for listening to Fair Folk Podcast. Please share the podcast if you love it and rate it positively on iTunes. You can also follow me on Facebook at Fair Folk Podcast or on Instagram at Danica.child, where I post the most often. If you want more Fair Folk Podcast, I also make a monthly almanac episode just for my Patreon subscribers with the folklore of each month ahead and suggestions for how you could apply it to your own life. You can sign up for the Almanac and other goodies at patreon.com slash fairfolkcast. I'll be back with another episode in a couple of days. Until then, I hope you're singing out there. <laughs>